Scotty, Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hot Nerd Podcast. How are things going for you in your neck of the woods? I hope things are going absolutely wonderful. Things are busy, great, awesome, fun, busy. That's what I've got going on here, man. I have been all over the place doing all kinds of hot nerd stuff, and it is an absolute blast getting to come out and spend time with you and help you operationalize these awesome ideas and concepts to help you bring human and organizational performance to life. I've got to tell you, in April, I'm basically going on like the great Midwest tour. (laughs) Like I'm going to be kind of all over the Midwest over a couple weeks, a couple weeks span there. So I say that to say this, that if you want to hang out, you want to see me, I'm going to be around. And if you need any hop help while I am in that neck of the woods, I have a few days open. So just let, let me know. I'd love to get you on the calendar. Love to help you with that. So I'm going to just jump right into today's episode with the one, the only, the amazing Brad Green. Make sure you go check out Brad over on LinkedIn. He posts all kinds of amazing and great stuff. And you've probably seen me and him interact quite a bit over there. And it's just just been fun. So we had him on the show and we talked about all kinds of stuff, human and organizational performance. And we took a, a deep dive into 10 ideas to make safety suck less, my, my, my latest book. So make sure you go check that out as well. You can find it on Amazon Marketplaces, wherever you do Amazoning type of things. And, and that's it. Let, let's let's drop in and listen to me and Brad talk about hot. Where, where are you based uh, so out of? I'm, I'm in Houston. I'm okay. in Houston. Yeah, I'm originally from Oklahoma, redneck from Oklahoma, but you know, I, I moved down to Houston about 17 years ago, where I started my my journey. Uh, come from a town of about a thousand people, and then come through Houston, and was like, "What did I get myself into?" But <laughs> and <laughs> it now, was quite a shock. And now you're a what a Houstonian? Is that what it is? A Houstonian? I, I believe so. Uh, <laughs> I would consider myself a Houstonian by now. I don't tell my dad that. Uh, <laughs> he, he doesn't like my stars and stuff on my house and other things. But uh, I've tried to buy him a few, but uh, he, he doesn't like that. Um, yeah, all, but, all my all my Texas friends out there, there's a there's a thing with that star, right? That's a, that's oh, a thing, yep. right? <laughs> yep, you gotta have the star. Love the uh, love the great Republic of Texas. That's for sure. I spent some time there oh, yeah. here and there. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a fun fun place. Um, not I've not spent a ton of time in Houston. Surprisingly, yeah. like, Houston's really? not. I have not not known Houston a ton, but to get out there and beat around, it's uh, it's fun. I've, I've heard a lot of great things. Yeah, Houston's a great great town. A lot of great activities. A lot of things to do. Um, I don't I don't leave it very often, uh, other than when I travel, uh, but which is seems somewhat uh, here lately quite a bit. But uh, getting to be go out to the sites, I've been stuck in this uh, in the ivory tower for uh, for for some time, and uh, I like to go out to the sites to be with the people. But um, you know, I, I have to ask you that uh, I had noticed that you have recently went on a little extravaganza with your family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I have to ask, what was your number one priority? Oh, uh, for the trip? Yeah. Oh, disconnect. Disconnect. Probably yeah. disconnect. Yeah. Spend time together. Disconnected. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think this is relatable to a lot of folks. Um, most of us nowadays in particular, and nowadays in particular, it seems like we're swamped. Yeah. We're, we're super busy, right? We, it just seems like 
that's just where most people are at currently. We're super busy in our the 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 style, the type of work that most of us do. Uh, it's a little draining. Like we're passionate about it. It's great stuff. It's awesome. We love it. We do it because we're passionate about it. But you have to exercise some caution with that passion. And so something that we've been talking about is we try to purposely put in counterweights to our passions because I, I don't know how you are, man, but when, when especially stuff that I'm passionate about. So we're talking hop, right? That's that's like my, yeah. my professional passion. Um, it's really easy for me to go down that rabbit hole and not resurface for a long, <laughs> a long time. Yeah. If I'm not careful. <laughs> right, right. And so we, we build in these counterweights. And one thing that we do almost every Friday We've skipped this Friday because I've been off running around traveling, so we had some other stuff to catch up on. But similar to that, we do this thing where we go out and we uh, we hike. I never thought myself that I would ever in a million years hike. Um, the way I look at it, we were talking about kind of redneck, uh, being a little bit of a redneck. The way I look at it is if a four-wheeler yep, will go yep. there, why do I need to walk there? Right? That was yep, that's always that's right. been, been, been kind of my idea. Um, so as, as we're hiking up the mountain, there's people, you know, cruising past us on dirt bikes and four wheelers. And I'm kind of envious of that, but that wasn't the point. Um, every early, like ass crack of dawn on Friday mornings, my daughter, she goes to school four days a week. Um, so she's off on Fridays. I'm typically home on Fridays. I try to make that an an at-home office day report, record podcasts and get caught up on stuff. So the first thing we do is we get up, ass crack it on, and believe it or not, an eight-year-old will get out of bed at the ass crack it on because she really likes this. And we take off up in the mountains and we hike for a few hours. And it's the same same premise of that trip of just to act as a counterweight to kind of get away from that stuff, leave the cell phone, turn the cell phone off. So this particular trip, we had went out to uh, to Joshua Tree, uh, found a nice little Airbnb out there and just did exactly that, just hung out for a little bit. We did go to LA for a day because... Again, back to eight-year-old daughter, you have to go to Universal Studios, right? Like yeah. You got you to do that. She's at this age where she's now obsessed with Harry Potter. So <laughs> we've got the wand. We got the. We got the. I don't know. Is it a. Is it a cape? Is that what they wear? Is, that, is I don't think it's a cape. It's a robe. I, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not 100 percent sure either. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that for a day, but it was the whole disconnection, getaway, act as a counterweight, get away from work for a little bit, just be together as a family, and just just that, man, because we don't get to do enough of it. Oh, that's for sure. I, I just got back from a cruise. So I, I learned a couple years ago that the only way that I can stop this passion and get away from from what I do is being able to get away from my phone. And I can't physically mm-hmm. disconnect myself from that phone. Yeah. And but when I'm on a cruise, I don't buy the package that that the I Wi-Fi it, package. Yeah. Yep. And and so I have been the last week on a cruise with my family, of course, being with my family, uh, enjoying the time off. And, uh, I, and I, when I sh- came back, I realized that you had went on this little extravaganza. And I, I thought to myself, I was going to ask you what your number one priority was. And I, I was, I just could have sworn I thought you was going to say safety. <laughs> but um, I, I didn't know uh, what you was going to say. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, as as a recovering safety professional, I, I try my best not to use that answer as much as possible. <laughs> well, I, I promise you, as as we were in Joshua Tree, and we're climbing up on these beautiful rock formations to get better views. There was not a rope or a piece of fall protection in sight. I super duper duper promise. <laughs> Were were there any injuries? None, man. Believe it or not. Yeah, did you celebrate? None. We did. We had pizza. 
great. <laughs> and we printed t-shirts. Great. That's awesome. Awesome. So you rewarded your daughter for, for behaving correctly. That's right. For in- injury-free <laughs> fun performance. That is awesome. So did, did your daughter have to stop you from doing anything unsafe or any performing any unsafe activities? No, believe it or not. Believe How about you stop her? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> I think it's, you know, we're we're that wacky family that maybe uh maybe encourages creative risk taking. <laughs> I, I believe so. I uh, this is a joke around my house is that uh, I, you know, as a safety professional, they they also think I, that I sleep and breathe this thing and I I understand that uh we've got to understand risk and sometimes you got to take risk to learn and i don't i don't tie my my kids up in bubble wrap i, I let them learn the way that i learned yeah life and and we've created a a system where there's so many safety systems in place that i don't think that people realize the, even the potential uh, of, of of what could potentially happen yeah i grew up and you probably grew up the same way where during the summertime, during the evening time, I went off and, and, and never seen my parents. I would go off and in, in the woods and we would have pellet gun fights and, and all kind of fun stuff. And mm-hmm. I come unscathed, I think, but, <laughs> but, uh, but as a parent, you know, I think things have changed and, and we have gotten to this sense of overprotection and, and overbearing and yeah. it's really created a, a culture where where people don't even know what what pain is you know and and, yeah. and and risk really allows us to learn now i wanted to poke fun with you a little bit about your trip uh, just because you know we we talk a lot about this on on linkedin and 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 to realize that the language that we discussed just now is the same language we discuss in our workforce, right? And the fact of the matter is, is safety is never the number one priority, right? Right. It, it, it and it's and it's what I call the prime example of risk washing. Uh, staying in business is always going to be number one, mm-hmm. right? If if safety was really number one priority. Every company should shut their doors. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's residual there's, risk in everything that we do. There's, there's, there's not, there's not too many companies out there that are in the business of producing safety. Uh, that, that is correct. <laughs> right. and, and, and so I think that's the ultimate uh, risk washing phrase that that I see out there. And it really looks good, and it's um, seductive, mm-hmm. but I don't think it does a whole lot of good. And, and of course. Uh, it fits real good with uh, the the recent book that I have been 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 reading, which is your book. Nice. <laughs> which is the ten ideas to make safety suck less. And I started thinking about this the other day, and I thought, how can I describe this book? And I think because it's Friday, and every Friday Eve, and my family goes out for dinner. That's kind of our Friday getaway. Yeah. And I thought, I thought, man, I can think of this book like a juicy hamburger where you started off with a, with a, a fresh out of the oven bun with, with trust, 
right? And you put all the layers in there, the meats, the vegetables, and you ended it with the sauce, and then you topped it with a good another another right out of the the oven bun with with uh, embracing humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think you just created the, the the most succulent hamburger that I've ever eaten. Again, I could just be hungry, but uh, I think you have done a fantastic job <laughs> putting together. Oh, and if you can't uh, tell, man, I appreciate a good hamburger, and so I'll <laughs> gladly, I'll gladly take, take that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you started off just wonderful, and and I really tried to to put that together. And I thought that's the only way I can I, I can think of it is that you just put all the mixings together to create this masterpiece that makes sense to to the average Joe, if you will. Mm. And, and of course I told you the other day that my favorite two books was side by side, which are number one and number two, I think uh, great uh, number one sellers right now, which is Clive Lloyd and, and yourself. And, and again, his book really starts talking about trust a lot and how fundamental it is. And as you know, it, if we don't have trust, no matter what happens, uh, the most well-intended, sophisticated management initiatives will be treated with cynicism yeah. and will be undermined, right? Yeah. And I think it's often overlooked. It's the most overlooked element within an organization is trust. Because as we know, as the saying says, it, it arrives on foot and leaves on horseback. I often say it arrives on a, it arrives with a turtle. Because the turtles kind of come and then they stop for a little bit, right. come a little bit more, they stop a little bit. Maybe take a couple steps back. Maybe take a couple <laughs> steps back. Uh, but, but I think you, you started off with a really good, good start, and then and then you you went on from you know do things with people, and I think we as organizations tend to be hierarchical try to separate ourselves into the doers and the and the the people that tell people what to do right yeah and and what's so important about this one is that when you let employees help with the decisions it really shows that you trust them yeah so great you know go, move from from going from number 1 to number 2 is doing things with people you know, as we often said, they're the experts of the systems in which they operate. They know when things are about to fail. They know when things are not going right. And 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 as, as you say, uh, organizations uh, must ask their employees what they need to get their job done. Right. And that really begins with, uh, you know, helping create trust even deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And. And, and then the, the, the best one I learned, and I, I, I also coach softball too. And, and I've, I've coached softball for probably the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. Uh, I, I just really love coaching and helping people grow. Yeah. And, and, and this one is I've learned probably more about people and behaviors and heuristics and, and all of the other constructs that you must understand about human behavior through coaching young people from six years to 18 years old. And, and this was learning deliberately and learning often from those that, that, 
you know, the GSD, right? And and you have to react with curiosity. My mantra is, of course, learning and improving through the lens of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I, I was actually writing uh, another, uh, preparing for another podcast. And I I had read that chapter in your book. And I, I think I even PM'd you. And I said, man, you hit this right on the nail. I think you stole this from my head. So uh, <laughs> thank you all for uh uh, that was my part. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> but no, I think it's it's important that that we react with curiosity, right? Not judgmental. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we make judgments, we are acting on on limited knowledge. And so, when I coach my girls or when I go out in the field, I try as much as I can not to make those judgments. You know, I try to understand what's going on within the organization. Mm-hmm. What is creating people to behave in a certain manner or uh, for them to react in a certain manner. I think, and and I think you had mentioned in a previous spot is I'm just, I really like to see how things work. Yeah. And on the weekends, I'm often, uh, my family and I own a cabin and, and, and 20 acres about 80 miles from the house. And, and so I'm always tinkering with with side by sides and full wheelers and jeeps mm-hmm. and stuff. So I, I'm a hands on type of person. Yeah. I have a really hard time when I go out in the field of not helping, not doing because yeah. <laughs> I actually want to yeah. do stuff. Yeah. yeah, but I'm generally curious about how things get done because I know when I'm working on my jeep and on my things at home, I don't have a lot of rules a lot of paperwork that I have to complete. And so I try to get people to understand how do we get things done at work and how is that different from how we get things done at home? Yeah. And, and I'm assuming that you guys done some pretty risky stuff during your, your travels, right? You bet. Did you do any take fives? <laughs> we did. We did not. <laughs> <laughs> We did a 35 minute pre job brief. Yeah. Any and, risk uh, assessments? Every, everyone signed it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah everyone we, signed we, it. Good. No. You know, I, I, I even think, did a two minute drill once once we got there. It was, it good. worked out real, real well. And, 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 a, and a debrief and a debrief afterwards. Uh, no, but I, but I think you hit it. Net on the nail there when you you said learn deliberately and often from those that they get yeah. stuff done because those are really the experts that are are helping us move forward. Yeah, and and having conversations not about work. Yeah, that's huge. Right, and and I recently got back from a two week extravaganza around my sites. And I even learned a little bit of poker while I was there. But I spent a few days, and I don't think I mentioned work much. Naturally, safety kind of comes to the forefront because of my profession. Mm-hmm. But I didn't talk about it a whole lot with the, the people. I actually worked, you know, just talked about how the job was done and how how things are being done and and really just conversing about life in general. Yeah. And to me, that's really fun. Yeah. And that's really how you really build rapport with your people. 
And you really get to be curious and, and ask those questions. And so that that is, uh, I think, very important element of, of the book. And, and that's, I think, people really need to understand that that is really how we work, is we really need to learn and ask those people to, at that work at the shop floor, at the coal face, if you will, of, of how they're actually getting the job done. As you know, when you talk about a lot often, it's, 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 there's a big, big disconnect on how actually work, work is actually done versus how we envision it being done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is the way they do work is how work is actually being done. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. And, and whether we like it or not, that's how it's done. And, and what's, what's remarkable is they're, they're mostly successful. Right. Almost we talk always. about this yeah. almost always. And so the question then always tells you is why we, why would we, why is there a difference? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's often because we simply don't ever go ask. We don't ask them how work is actually done because over time systems degrade, things change. And when we wrote the procedure, the policy five years ago, it may have made sense at that time. But we've developed shortcuts in order to create efficiencies in order to get the job done. Yeah. And we've gotten really good at it, but we don't come back and until we have pain points and until we have injuries. Then I, after that, it's very obvious where someone made a mistake, mm-hmm. right? It's always obvious then in, in retrospect. Always ask then, when was the last time you verified that people were doing work in accordance to what you believed work was supposed to be executed. I often get never. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> as they, so, okay. So they've deviated. They, they've been successful for X amount of years. And now we're hyper-focused on this, time in which things didn't go as expected Hmm. we need to put things in perspective i had an incident some years back where it it was a lineup with multiple valves and i did the calculation and and this particular individual did over five thousand lineups that year and they had one incident and we were hyper-focused. We had all of the big wigs come down, hyper-focused on the spill. And I said, we were, we had one incident out of 5,000 opportunities. I would say that's pretty successful. Mm-hmm. So I urge people to try to put things in more perspective. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. I've, I've been working with a company that's kind of gone down this path of human organization performance for a while. And they got really good at not blaming people for events, right? They got really good at that part of it. But then they kind of blame migrated a bit. And so they, they kind of got into this path where this kind of mindset with some of their senior leaders, where it's like, well, if, if, if events aren't how we measure safety success, then damn it, compliance is going to be it. And then we're going to blame people when we have poor compliance findings. 
Right. So they went on this big, huge compliance kick, which they're trying to undo now. Right. Which is, again, progress ebbs and flows. Right. It ebbs and flows. Yep, it, it does. <laughs> but, sure. but the, 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 the whole, the, the whole kind of thing there's is the, the question I asked them was, okay, so you, you go to this location, you find a, a handful of things that's like, okay, Great, a handful of things, stuff to work on, right? I, I, I think I think I wrote it in the book too. So not not this particular example, but about that idea of like when you find compliance things, it should be it should move from oh shit to oh good. Yep. Like we've got so we've got something to work on now. That's great. Um, but it was the same the same premise of of really kind of checking your uh, uh, your viewpoint of that because I'm like how many things did you not find? I mean, you're looking at this, you, you've gone through your entire organization, you found like four or five compliance things you could bucket together and you're looking at probably like a 99% successful. And the question that I asked was what other business metric would you point out and say 99% is a failure? I, I, it just, that only exists in the, in the realm of safety, right? That is the only place where you say, you know what? 97.5, you guys suck. That's <laughs> gotta be a hundred percent always or a zero always. Right. And yeah. I just, I just find that interesting asking that question. I really appreciate your point on that because I think, I think looking at that through that lens, having that conversation, I know that as dumb as that little kind of question I asked was to this group of folks, you could kind of see like the like the little aha moment of like, oh, that's true, huh? Like, man, we're we're ninety seven percent efficient with something else. Uh, I don't think I would be complaining. I think again that that's that's pizza, not punishment. Right? <laughs> no, you're right, and and because we're focused so much on what we don't want, right? Yeah. The lack of, right? Right. Yeah. And 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 you're exactly right. If if my daughters and I have three come to me and makes a ninety-nine point five or ninety-nine point six on on a test, I'm elated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I'm not gonna <laughs> uh and so we're we're focused on on a little bit of the, the wrong things. We talk about this quite a bit. you know, we focus on what we don't want, not what we want. And I think that's a little difficult to to understand because we've been doing it for so long. Yeah. Right. And so we believe that if we can stop all bad things from happening, then then we're good. The problem with that is that that is um, that is counterproductive mm-hmm. and it's contradictory to risk. Right. Yeah. And and it's not reality. We don't live in a perfect world. And you had mentioned earlier about the ebb and flows of, of programs. And I wish organizations understand would understand this a little bit more. Nat- natural ebb and flows are natural. They're going to happen yeah. throughout the organization, throughout the lifetime of the organization. It's just going to happen. Yeah. And so when when it does fall back, we must react with curiosity. Hmm. Not judgment, not knee-jerk reactions. We've got to expect it. It's normal. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's where your topic around, you know, t- stop trying to comply or punish your way to excellence and really, re- t- you know, redefining safety, what safety actually is. And I know you really talk about this a lot and, let me get this out there. 
and I've talked about this in a recent pod, but that there's no mutual agreement on what safety is globally. No. Nor nor should there probably ever will be. I don't believe there ever will be. And and that's problematic within an organization if there's multiple definitions of what safety is. And what I urge organizations to do, and I actually talked about this a little while back, and I asked several people, what is your definition of safety? And I got hundreds of definitions. And if we can't agree on what safety is within one organization, then how could we even get to what we want to get to? Yeah. So I when when you define safety and, and of course I love your your definition of the presence of defenses, I I first say take the first step and, and define safety whatever which way you want. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And 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 at least get some cohesion within that and get some understanding because if I uh, measure if I define safety as the the presence of capacity, and you define it as the absence of negative outcomes, we're on the opposite ends of yeah. spectrums. Yeah, different planets at that point, right? Yeah, we're in different planets, and so we're looking at total two different things. Yeah, and, and you know, we talked about earlier the the mantra of of, case, uh, of safety first, and which to me again is the, the classic example of, of risk washing. You know, we've got to understand that mistakes and errors will be made and systems will fail. And therefore, we need to plan and strategize for the inevitable. Again, don't react with judgment. We got to be curious and understand that it's normal. And, and I think that's your redefining safety uh, within your book is a really good, good chapter around why we should look at the more positive aspects of safety. Yeah. Because we know that things will happen. What our job is as an organization is that we should embrace the concepts of a rest, acceptable risk as a goal. Right. Uh, we should have processes processes in place to identify yeah. the hazards. Yeah. Right. Identify improved systems efficiencies and reduce and control risk to an acceptable level, not to zero. No. Well, it's it's that whole thing that you know having a great plan is a great idea, right? And mm-hmm. you should, right? We should, we should absolutely having having a great yep. work plan is a great idea. To me, I think of it kind of like the beaten path, right? We kind of know that it's it's the path that typically takes us where we want to go, but not always, right? The path changes, the weather yep. changes, everything moves, right? The 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 thing about uh, about that great that great plan is that it it never, as we were mentioning kind of earlier, works never static. Our environments are never static. Nothing is static, right? And everything impacts everything. Back to the context of work, right? Having a great plan is a great idea, but you have to go down that path of understanding that it's 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 never always the end all be all, right? Um, I think of it like a plan for assembling furniture from IKEA, right? <laughs> it it kind of gets me in the realm of what I know I kind of need to do, but I'm going to have to adapt, and I'm probably going to have to grab a couple screws out of the the coffee 
uh, container in the garage. And I'm going to probably have to maybe get some wood glue after I, you know, break it in two once or twice. And I'm probably going to have to maybe do some other things to adapt my way through putting together that stupid chair that I should have just bought pre-assembled. But, but it's exactly that to me, right? It's, it's that adaptation. And so for me, the power of adaptation is really king in that world, right? And I think so much of maybe our more traditional approaches have been on how do we minimize adaptation and follow the plan, where really, how do we give folks more opportunity, more ability, more um, help them have better kind of situations, right? So even as we kind of go back to that idea, we're talking about kids a little bit, and I'm usually really hesitant to to because there's so many folks out there. And again, I know folks that listen to this podcast, they know exactly what I'm going to say because I rant about some of those other folks out there that that literally treat their employees like children (laughs) and kind of compare them to kids, right? But to me, it is kind of the same thing that we're talking about with kids, right? We're talking about like that 97% successful or this or that on a test. I think about it like with Avery, my daughter, she's, she's eight in there doing something right now. I think about her riding her her bike around the neighborhood here, right? We live in a pretty safe neighborhood here. She's she can pop the garage door open and go circle the neighborhood on her bike and find her friends and have fun and not not too much worry, right? But the idea to me, it's the same reason why I'm yelling, you know, wear a helmet, please. It's not that I don't. It's not that I'm not expecting her to. I'm, I'm not expecting her to be a perfect bicyclist all the time. The idea, and I and I'm not expecting her to not fall down and skin her knee. Like, okay, that kind of stinks. You skinned your knee, but that's kind of what happens, right? If you're going to go out and have fun and cruise your bike around the neighborhood, you're taking the risk of skinning your knee. Where I want you to understand is that I don't want you to uh, bonk your head and end up in the ER. You know, that's 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 that level, right? That's that kind of thing that we're talking about. Of yep, yep, yep. there's some risk if you're going to. I'll, I'll even I'll even dare to say if you're going to have fun in life. You're going to have to take some risk. If you're going to live, you're going to have to take some risk. And that doesn't change when you go to work. If you're going to get anything done, there's going to be risk associated with it. That is, that is so true. And I think that's, that's exactly right. It's, it's acceptable risk and it's purport and your safeguards has got to be proportional to the risk, right? Right. If you do not want your kids to get hurt, you would put them in a butt. Well, you wouldn't let them go outside and ride a bicycle. Yep. Okay. Uh, but, but, but I also also think that occasionally breaking a rule or law is maybe the safer or best alternative. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's it, there's a there's a chunk from Hollenagel that I included in that book, and I really appreciate that little chunk, Bessnard Hollenagel. And it's it's I, I can't quote it. I'm my my memory is not that great. Um, falling on my head too much without a helmet as a as a as a kid. <laughs> Falling off four wheelers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think we owned a helmet when I was a kid. I don't think we had a helmet. <laughs> but, we didn't either. We had three wheelers. Oh, three wheelers. You talk about oh man, three wheelers. <laughs> that's like, geez. <laughs> yep. That yep. is next. That is next level danger, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go to stop and you tip over. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I've done that before. But that 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 piece from from Bessnard Hollenegel, and, and there's a ton of other writing out there on it. It's just one of my favorites. It's an idea that you don't be careful what you wish for. Right. You you don't mm-hmm. really want employees to follow your rules as written. You don't want employees not to violate certain things. There's a couple sides to that. One is malicious compliance, which obviously is a form of protest in a lot of yeah. ways. Where if I actually yep. follow all the rules that the organization prescribes to me, everything stops, 
Right. There's a few really great examples. I think of taxicab <clears throat> unions doing that and a couple other other organizations doing that. I think that happened in the nuclear industry at some point as well overseas. Where it's like, okay, I will follow everything 100 percent as written. And everything screeches to a halt. We we depend on people to read between the lines of procedures and to make decisions in real time and to weigh out if this is the best decision possible in this particular context, because sometimes that rule is not, right? It's 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 absolutely not. Yep. And to your point, I think sometimes following the rule puts you in a worse position than I think, again, okay, here's a safety guy. You got to talk about driving, right? You think about the times when it's actually safer to increase your speed, right? Yep. There, there, there are times, right? You think about when, when you have to put the hammer down in your car to get out of the way of something that you know you need to get out of the way of. You're technically breaking the rule and you're yep. doing it. You're doing it deliberately. You're doing it on yep. purpose. That's malicious. Right. Yep. <laughs> no, right. And and I, I was actually going to bring up that context because I live in Houston and our traffic is so if you don't if you've never driven in Houston and for those that are coming to Houston, people in Houston like to when they get on the highway, when they from the on ramp, they like to go from one side of the highway all the way to and they have like 10 lanes. Right. And they just go from one side all the way over and never stop. <laughs> yep. Of course, they're not using a a, a, a turn signal either. Yeah, but I, I thought about this the other day. I I I was driving, and the traffic, the the car in front of me, automatically stopped, like just screeched to a almost a halt, and I had to turn and miss him. And I so I switched lanes. I did not put a, my signal light on. I was. I, uh, you know, did not make sure that, you know, someone was coming because I had to adapt to the situation in which I was under in a split second. If I would have had to have turned my signal light on, made sure any of that one was coming, I more than likely would have rammed that, that vehicle. And, and so uh, I think we talk about cars so easy, uh, so much in, in safety because it's, it's so relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and the fact of the matter is I, I urge people to actually think about when they're driving, cause you, you, you probably know we don't. And, and think about how many times from, from your work to your, to your house, how many rules you, and, and how many laws you actually break. Yeah. Yeah. It's hundreds. Just, just in, just in, just in life, right. Just in life. I want. And I won't, I won't, I won't go down that rabbit hole um, <laughs> around feelings of the, uh, of maybe the federal government and overeat. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll leave that one for an offline conversation. <laughs> but if you think about the number of rules, laws, regulations, you know, whatever we want to call them, things that you are technically supposed to follow or else that apply to you as a person in this country or any other country starting from the federal level all the way down to your local town, it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of laws that are you're subjected to at any given time. The, first off, I can't tell you many of them other than the basics, the important ones. Like, yeah, probably shouldn't kill people. Speeding's a thing. Yeah, probably shouldn't speed. Arson's yep. illegal. Like, you know, some, some of those basic ones that are just kind of, I don't want to call them like the duh things, but yeah, right. You know, you find some municipalities where it's like, oh, you're, you know, your grass is a quarter inch longer than it's supposed to be, right? That you're technically in violation of a law that you can be cited for. And ultimately, the way those work is all the way up into imprisonment, right? Is how typically laws work mm -hmm. uh, at some point in that that scale of escalation. 
I, I challenge anybody to tell me they're not in violation of something right now. Right. Uh, of, 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 okay. of some law of some degree. And the same is with their organizations. There was a study done. I think it was something under Decker um, where they basically polled nurses as to how many um, rules they knew versus how many rules that were actually applicable yep. to them. And it's somewhere in the thousands of rules that they had at any given time they were uh, that were applicable to them. And if you just took any organization's safety manual, we all have got them. Right. We've all got them somewhere. The, the safety handbook or whatever it is that's basically like the the book mm-hmm. of rules um and you went and actually counted all those up that are applicable to everyone at any given time same thing better question to ask when you're having this conversation with those um maybe senior level folks in particular do you really you really think I promise you you probably broke like six rules just walking into this building this morning right it's there somewhere and yeah it's just yeah. it's it's wild, right? The, the amount of stuff that are actually things that are actually applicable to us at at any given time, at any given time. Yeah, and and of course the the majority of our our thinking is in the unconscious, and so we don't even know we're doing it. Yeah, uh, up to ninety five percent of our thinking is in the unconscious, based on our mental shortcuts yeah. that we've created throughout life, and and I think we 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 believe that. You know, my focus is really on the humanization of HSE. I really try to humanize HSE and treat people as people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, but when I came up, I, I really, when I looked at regulations and rules, I really seen people. And so when I see KPIs and, and people, and that's what makes me a little, that's why I'm so passionate about people using KPIs as a, as a quote unquote indicator is those are people we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. They're not numbers. Yeah. And we're not talking when, to system output, right? We're not, we're not talking no. to systems efficiency score. We're not, no. we're not talking about number of widgets being produced, right? We're talking about, you know, Boilermaker Bob, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're that, right. We're, we're not yeah. talking about some meaningless widget. We're talking no. about Susan across the hall. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, we we've we've got to modify the way that we we view our workers and the way we view people. You know, people are not machines. And and to be quite honest, if, if we were ninety nine, if a machine was ninety nine point eight percent reliable, that would be pretty darn reliable. Yeah. If you look at you know. The majority of of sophisticated, mature organizations from an incident uh, rate perspective. Yeah, yeah. Even though we know they're statistically invalid anyway, right. but we'll we'll talk about that another day. But but you know we need to we really need to not only redefine safety, but we also re, re, we need to redefine success and, and focus more on on what our successes really are. When when is the the when is the time that we are successful, and 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 like you'd mentioned earlier, we're mostly successful. Yeah, I mean we 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 mostly are, and I think we we focus on on the wrong things. And getting back to your book, and this is one of my favorite ones because I write a little bit about this a little bit, and this is about our infatuation or prejudice toward predicting and preventing all negative consequences 
And I think you had mentioned, you even wrote an article, I think, before your book, or it was part of your book, but we we just put a disproportional focus on prediction, Mm -hmm. right? As if we can predict everything. Right. And that is such a fallacy and creates the wrong belief in which our our abilities, right? And I was working with a a group yesterday that is uh, putting together some artificial intelligence, AI predictive analysis. And they even said that they cannot without within a tenth, you know, hundred, like 10% or something, they can't, their predictions are just random. They, they can predict, they think they can predict some things, but they, they're not, they can't predict. It's impossible to predict the future. Yeah. We can, however, we're pretty good at, at, understanding risk in today's world and putting safeguards in place to reduce risk to acceptable levels. But this disproportional focus on prediction really keeps us from focusing on what really matters, which is the day-to-day operations. It's a a resource burn, right? I mean, it really really, is. Really, when you think about it, it's a resource burn because you end up with – Folks like us, you know, safety folks, or, you know, especially in the more traditional sense in organizations, just we spend time, you know, we'll crunch those numbers harder until we can finally figure out. And so you end up squirreled away in some broom closet office somewhere, running Excel spreadsheets and pulling reports out of some automated system that's being fed into by garbage, hot garbage observation programs going, okay, I think we're going to have an event with a finger on Thursday, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the where where the ultimate end goal for a lot of organizations is with that. I think is it to. Uh, I mean, I would assume that the thought is we get to where we can eventually predict and prevent all with near hundred percent accuracy, which we know is just. Uh, I would call it a delusion more than an illusion. Um, I just don't see that being possible, right? Um, and then again, just the complex nature of what we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about uncertainty, and by definition, uncertainty is uncertain, right? We're going to predict uncertainty. Yeah. It's just wacky, right? It just gets wacky. So to me, it's just even from just a strategic decision making standpoint, it's like it's it's a waste of time and resources that we could be. And I think that's kind of where you're going. If we could be investing into something yep. that is much more meaningful, rather than having that person there running spreadsheets trying to trying to tell me, yeah, most of our events happen on Wednesdays. You know, I would rather than be out having those really good conversations you were talking about with folks. Like, yeah, when you know, what what are you guys doing this weekend? Oh, a kid's got a softball game. Cool. How's that going? Are you excited for that? I'd rather see those folks out building relationships. Because then I think as close to, I'm going to use air quotes here, to prediction that you can get is you're having those conversations. You're learning about normal work. You're, you're, you're listening for the presence of those positive things that we know typically make things go right. Or you're listening for those other things that we know are kind of the seeds of a disappointing outcome. I think Todd, that's from Todd, I believe, those seeds of a disappointing outcome, those faint signals mm-hmm. that we have failure in motion kind of happening with those faint signals before they grow into loud signals, 
you know, that that's where that power is at. To me, that's that's as close to prediction. And it's because it's not prediction. That's as close as you can get to as in my eye, in my mind's eye of of getting toward something that's in even this remotely the same vein of we're listening for failure in motion. We're listening for faint signals. We're we're sorting through with even that model of kind of dumb, dangerous, difficult, or different. We're listening for those kind of words that we know. We're going. Oh, what was that? <laughs> what, what, what that? Okay, that sounds way harder than it should be. Let's talk about that, right? Um, I think that's a much better use of our time than saying, "Yep, you know, Thursday's the day when everything bad, bad happens." I think it just drives us. You know, similar. I, I'm 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 kind of going on a bit of a rant here, but similar to a lot of those things that we feed into whatever system or equation or creative math we're using to try to try to come up with some predictive analysis of things. Most often than not, we're usually observing and counting some type of human behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Carry over from more behavior-based systems, uh, behavior-based safety systems. Um, and we're saying, okay, we're, we're, we're extracting these behaviors through observation cards. We're putting them in this pot. We're throwing them up and we're spitting those out. And we're going to release some type of trend chart, trend air quotes, more air quotes, <laughs> release some kind of trend chart on this. And that's going to tell us where we should invest our time and resources. So again, back to making better decisions, even just from a strategic decision-making standpoint, right? Waste of time and resources. And then the data that we're getting out is crap. So we're using crap data, crap forecasting to go spend a bunch of money and fix a problem that wasn't a problem to begin with. It just seems like bad business. Just backing up away from safety in general. Let's just call it out for what it is. It seems like a bad approach. You're just just hemorrhaging money for no reason. You're hemorrhaging time for no reason. And you're not actually bettering operational outcomes, right? All in a pursuit of just trying to predict and prevent something. When even on the backside of that, let's just take some of that out and invest some of that into trying to create more resilient systems that are less air inviting, but built with the idea that they are going to fail and have the ability to fail a bit more gracefully when they do, understanding that we're not going to be able to predict when it fails, but we're going to be prepared for it too. Again, just other yeah, other no. viewpoints than trying yeah. to bean count and pretend we're going to, I don't know. It's just, it, it's one of those hot button things for me, Brad. I'm sorry. I went, I went on a bit of a soapbox rant there in a few different directions, but <laughs> no, I, I like the passion because I, for me, what I do is is I go out there and I want people to ask, you know, two things is what is the most dangerous thing that you do? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the what is the most hazardous thing that you have to do as part of your job? And then I ask them the second question is what is the most hazardous thing you're going to do today? Yeah. And it's not that. I, and a lot of times they don't know. And and that's not a problem. However, if you have that conversation enough with them, it's they'll start to kind of think about it. What yeah. is the most hazardous thing I do? And I can I've I've done this test before and I went to an organization and I went to three different organizations and I asked a group different groups of organizations in the same plan. I asked them what is the if there was going to be a a significant injury here, where's it going to be? And one hundred percent of the respondents told me the exact spot in which they thought it was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And all three areas, which told me that they really understood risk. We just don't ask them. Of yeah, course, the so next question. Huge. Yeah, that's, a, that, no, that, that's a huge thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to rant on prediction one more time and I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> 
but so back to your point asking right we're talking we're t- what we're talking about is 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 operational curiosity and listening right uh, yes it's, we're really driving us towards operational intelligence right mm-hmm. real deal raw and real information operational intelligence um i've i've done this i've seen other people do it i i don't know who told me to do it i tried it and i really i really liked it but same kind of thought of doing workshopping with some with some groups high risk stuff and just giving them all an index card to be like write down where somebody's going to die right and surprisingly, there's a lot of overlap, right? And if back to if you want a better prediction rather than spending millions of dollars on some wonky piece of software and a bunch of behavior counting cards, get a pack of post-it or, or, or post-it, I guess you just post-its or the index cards and go out and just, again, if you're workshopping or just ask, just, just to your point, what's the most dangerous thing you do as part of your job and what's the most dangerous thing you're going to do today? Love it because they're going to tell you where that critical risk lives, the critical risk that we don't necessarily see because we don't have that same vantage point. We might be looking somewhere else, you know, and, and rightfully so sometimes, but they know the, the, the truth. It's, it's not that, um, managers and leaders and frontline employees, it's just they they all have information. We just have different sets, and we've got to bring those things together, right? I think I think that's a really interesting, really 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 interesting idea. Of how you bring those things together is just humbly asking, right? A big chunk of of yep. being humble and going forth and asking a little bit better question. And I'm with you. I think, and I found it to be true. People will point right at it usually and say, well, I'll tell you, I almost died there last week. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they'll tell you a lot of times they're just yeah. waiting on someone to be genuinely curious and ask them the question. They want to tell you. Yeah. And and unfortunately, what I've, I've come across here lately is, or not lately, throughout my career is if you ask the operators that that's been a lot of them's been there for many years. They'll ask you what they have tried in the past that haven't worked, but yet we're working on the same problems, trying to fi- fix the same problems we've trying to been trying to fix for twenty years, coming up with the same solutions, but it doesn't work. Right? Because we simply don't ask the experts. Going back to what we just said about a ago, they are the experts. Why don't ask them first? Right? When there is a problem in operational, when there's an operational upset, I suggest. You get down with the set of operators and you ask, here's what, here's the problem that we're seeing, whether it be, uh, quality, production, reliability, et cetera. And, and give them the opportunity to sh- let them share their knowledge with you. Yeah. Not only current knowledge, but past knowledge about how they do operations and that is a starting point. And so when you talk about pain points in, in your book, those pains are not singular pains. That, that, that's not the first time they happened, right? They've been happening more than likely a lot, but pain points are an excellent time to learn and improve. Yeah. They're the best time. Because when you talk about pain, you're not talking about catastrophic pain. You're talking about the pain that that uh you know that causes us frustration yeah it's like the nagging toothache in work yes right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and we we i see those as blessings not as weaknesses right yeah and we need to embrace 
those pain points, as you say, which will allow us to uncover the gaps within our systems. Mm -hmm. And when we understand the context and the causes, you know, then we can be able to apply the corrective actions. And then after that, it's, it's so important that we share that blessing that we had, that we've now know with others. And to me, there's no better blessing than being able to share our learning points with others. Yeah. We had an event not very long ago, uh, not within my company in another organization. And I, I, I talked to the, the person that was injured, asking, you know, how he was doing, uh, you know, may tell him, you know, how, how sorry I was for the event. And, and I, and I walked through what happens after an event happens. Cause a lot of times when, when something happens, when an injury happens, unfortunately, we don't allow, we don't inform our people about what actually happens after the fact. Mm-hmm. They just know an injury happened, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I had, I sit down with him for a good 15 minutes and let him know that because of this event, we were able to unravel 15 opportunities, specific hazards that could potentially cause harm to to people. And we were able to put safeguards in place that will reduce risk. And because of this, uh, you know, we can share this knowledge amongst a group of 10,000 people because now we have the knowledge. Yeah, and you know, he said, "I'm glad. I'm glad I, I could take one for the team," and he smiled. And it's a shame that we don't do that enough with our people. That we don't let them understand that yes, we we don't want bad things to happen, but when we do, let's take those as learning opportunities. Let's learn and improve, but yep. let that person know whether it be a near miss. Uh, a recordable or, or whatever it may be, let them know the output and how much impact they actually have. Yeah. Yeah. And that is powerful because that's going to cause them to want to report more because they now know they have quote unquote, this, some skin in the game Yeah, that they can have impact on the organization. Yeah. And that's about going out there and talking with your people and letting them know, what's going on. Yeah. And that's, you know, with an event, you know, big, small, anywhere in between, you know, all the way up, even up to catastrophic events. I mean, um, and a lot of, a lot of leaders, a lot of organizations go down the path of, of panic, right. Within any level, right. It could be a very minor something, right. Low to no outcome near miss and they freak out and panic. And I wish this never kind of happened kind of thing. This should have never happened kind of thing. Of course, everybody wishes it didn't happen, but the point is, is that you're to the point of saying, well, this, it's an investment at this point. It's an investment that you've already bought and paid for. You might as well get your ROI out of it. Right. And you, the the only way to do that is through curiosity and learning. Right. That's the only way you get anything decent out of it. I really appreciate your point on, on, on that conversation element that I don't think happens nearly enough, if at all, 
of having that conversation with the employee and letting them. And that's where I think, I think learning teams are super powerful with that yep. because often, often, unless just physically unable to, right. We're talking more catastrophic events, but almost always you're involving that employee that experienced the event because who has more passion around fixing it than the yep. person that it happened to. Right. I mean, yep. if trust me, I know I've, 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 I've done these with folks that have, you know, had some pretty significant events and, that passion and dare I even say pissed off, not at the organization, yeah. but at the fact that, you know, like at almost at the hazard itself, yep. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> of like, damn it, I'm going to be the one that fixes this because this happened to me and I'm going to make damn sure that this doesn't happen to anybody. Leverage that those people want to be a part of the solution. They are the solution, right? When you're looking at that, at that, yep. especially post event stuff, there's no amount of investigation that will ever tell you as much as the person that was standing right there and the bad something happened to, right? Or happened yeah. around. Right? No, that, 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 that person right. has has as close as close to reality as you can get. And even with that, right? You're we're not so we're not so focused on finding one true story or one true narrative of how an event occurred. We're seeking to understand all the other stuff around it, all the normal work around it. We're, we're, I've, I've heard it described uh, again. It was either a Decker or a Conklinism from, from Decker or from the Toddster um, of, you know, when you think about uh, operational learning, such as learning teams, our kind of more historic processes were very down and in, find the broke part, find the problem. Fortunately, a lot of times that problem ended up being a person, right? Um, where learning teams and kind of these more, he, human organization performance-based techniques kind of take you up and out and you're really seeking to understand normal work. And again, the only, to me, the only way you truly get to that is by involving that person, especially post-event. If you can, the person that, that, that experienced the event and they're like, again, they're, they're vested in that. They want to see that not happen to anybody else. And then taking that farther and sharing that story. I think organizationally speaking, most organizations, almost all of them, even some of the greatest ones that I've worked for directly and tons of them that I work with myself, all of us, I don't, I think it's just a people thing. I'm, I'm not, won't even pin it on organizations. We're getting to the point, at least at work that we suck at telling stories. Yep. Like we, we really suck at telling stories and we need to focus on telling that story of this happened for sure. It happened. It just happened to Bob and Bob was involved in fixing it. And this is what we come up with and check this out. You know, look how cool this was. Sucks, sucks that Bob got hurt. It really does. Yeah. We can say that. Absolutely can say that because it does suck that Bob got hurt. But look, look, look at the positive that comes out of that as well. There is, there is a positive that we grew out of what would have historically been viewed as just all bad. Yeah. Right. And we we did make things better. I think there's a big there's a lot of power, though, in this idea of shifting from so much around those particular things, especially reacting and reacting and fixing because I'll, I'll say that there's yeah. a difference between reacting and seeking to fix and responding and seeking to improve. I think there's a big difference between we have to kind of strike out that fix word and go to improve. Right? Yeah. I, I think that's the difference. And that's why it's so important that our, our reaction to unintended deviations matter. Mm -hmm. Because if we go to reacting retributively, we will never learn anything. Learning will stop. Right? <laughs> in, in and we'll tracks. never <laughs> in its yeah. tracks. And so we will Bob, I think you called him, uh, or, or whomever that that had that event, he would never be open enough to actually talk about anything, right? right? 
And and so again, like you had mentioned, it's not about fixing, it's about improving. Mm-hmm. It's about learning and improving. Yeah. And and telling the deeper story. You had mentioned earlier, and I have to tell this story that uh, when you it, it's when someone gets frustrated at, at something that hurt them, I, I think about that my, my kid and, and my wife too. It's like stumping your toe, and she'll stump her toe on a couch and get so pissed off at the couch. And I'm like, the couch is an inanimate object; it doesn't move. Why are you so mad at the couch? Well, I'll I'll, I'll tattle on myself and tell you that. Uh, that so, uh, and you're going to immediately know the level of pain that I'm talking about when I say this. But I, I ran my shin into a drop hitch. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the that's like the worst. Other than yep. back out bad yep. tooth, I think yep. drop hitch is probably number three on on, the, on yep. that list of bad bad pains. Oh. And I did it twice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still, I still didn't take the drop hitch off, right? And I got to the point to where you get so mad at that actual inanimate object. <laughs> I fixed the problem, but I fixed the problem by pulling the pin out, ripping it out, and chucking it across into the weeds. I just I've left it. it. It's still out there somewhere. <laughs> so if anybody wants a drop hitch, it's somewhere out here in Tonopah off, of, off the side of I 10. Yeah. Outside of Phoenix. <laughs> uh, my wife gets so mad at me because she'll do that. And, and she knows. But it's it makes us feel better, mm-hmm. right? And that's our reaction to bad things. Yeah, a lot of times don't really fix the problem. It actually makes the problem worse, right? Right. But it makes us feel like we're in control. Didn't it make you feel good to grab that hitch and throw it? A bit. Did yeah. it? Did it make you feel good? <laughs> but now I had to buy. I had to buy a new drop hitch. But it made you poor. Did you fix yeah, anything? Exactly. Did you yeah. fix anything? Well, maybe temporarily. Temporarily, <laughs> but it, it didn't really fix anything, right? So, so that that drives the point home is that when something bad happens, our reaction to that that whatever matters. Yeah, and, and yeah. we can actually learn and improve. Or we can simply take out the hitch and throw it in the ditch and really not solve anything. Right. You know, we're, we're, t- we're talking about that, that piece of, of us being human. Right. Yep. And I, I, I spend this, this same conversation with executives a lot of times because when you see that bad thing, not great happen, right. There's that immediate reaction of frustration and anger and, all the other really um, it's it's almost like the stages of grief that you'll see people <laughs> go through when an event occurs even some pretty minor stuff right there's that that kind of uh, that overwhelming emotion piece that takes over and it's that's that that that's us being peopley that's what we do right that's kind of what we do because we're human yep but to recognize it right to recognize it and because i can't tell you that i've not had an event you know, somebody's called me in about an event, and I'm thinking in my head, like, WTF, that sounds like an idiot. Like, we yep. all have that. We all that that's normal, right? That's totally yep. normal. It's it's the pause, right? It's it's the pause and mm-hmm. and the, the the reflection. Let's stop and think for a minute. Let's think this through before I react, before we go do something dumb, even down the path of uh once we, you know, that that slowing down a bit, even as we approach trying to improve. 
right? Slowing down before we just jump, jump into improve mode with post event kind of stuff. Cause I'm sure you've seen that. I've seen that. Everybody's listening to seeing that we're trying to, we're trying to fix a problem that we don't even know anything about yet. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. But it's, Always. To, me, to me, it's this idea of you, you, you have a choice, right? Uh, I, I don't want to go too stoic here, yeah. but this, uh, this idea that, you know, you didn't get to choose that that event happened. You, you, you didn't, you didn't have a choice in that, you know, you nope. didn't have a choice, but you do have a choice in how you respond to it. Yep. You, you 100% have a choice in how you respond to it. So you can either react from a place of overwhelming emotion, or you can pause for a second. And we'd always toss around, respond more gracefully, respond with grace, right? Yep. This idea of like pausing for a minute and actually responding versus reacting. I had a friend of mine share that with me who's in um, in healthcare and he he compares it, you know, to medication. Um, and I've stole that and run with that, but I, I really, cause it really brings it into a, a good example of, you know, if you're administering a medication for something, do you want a reaction or a response? <laughs> the, 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 re- the response leads, it can be curative, yeah. right? A good, re- a good response can be curative. A reaction usually leads you in the emergency room or worse. Yeah. Right. And I really appreciate that example, but it's exactly that. I think to no. your point, you know, I, I, that, that, and we touched on it right at the beginning, back to the important element of, of, of things that tr- kill trust, right. Um, a poor reaction really quickly leads you down the path of people understanding that they can't tell you anything. Yeah. And I'm no, going to be very cautious about trust. the things that, that I bring up because you're never going to overcome Back to human things, you're never going to overcome someone's innate need for self-preservation, right? No. If 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 you're telling me the rule says report or else, but if I report, it's or else, right? And so, <laughs> what what am I going to do as a person, right? I, I think exactly. I think back to those earlier days. Uh, I know in my career as a safety professional before I went into recovery, uh, <laughs> for, for for safety professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. I kid. I kid. <laughs> but I, th- I think back to those earlier days. I remember some some old school safety folks um, that I worked with, worked for in some capacities. Again, early on, super green. Think as green as they come. You know how it is when you first find your way into this yep. world. And um, I-, I remember seeing events that would happen, and the solution would be, "We're going to fire that person. Like we're we're firing that person." Um, even then, right. Cause I wrote this down, um, going back to your point on humanity and, and really focusing back in kind of humanizing this profession and these approaches, right. That's, that's really powerful because even then, even early on, you know, even though you don't know anything about that profession, cause you've been doing it for a month, that just doesn't sit right in your gut, right. As a person, you're going, wait a second. So but you're t- we got to fire them for their own good <laughs> and for the, everybody else's good. And it's like, yeah, you, you know, you know, the line, I'd rather yep. see them in the unemployment line than, than in the morgue. Yeah. It's like, well, they're not in the morgue. Like they cut their arm and they got us like a stitch and now they're unemployed. Like that doesn't seem like uh, you, that seems a lot worse. It seems like you made things a lot worse. <laughs> It's definitely not proportional. It doesn't feel proportional to me. And and I think that's that's what drives me. And I think one of the things that you mentioned is we've got to realize that we are human. We know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. Mm. And 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 that's why when when 
people do uh, say what I feel is archaic, we also got to be react with curiosity. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Because they may not know any other yeah. way of doing it. And so we've got to also in our workplaces find that person that may not know the things that we know or know more things than we know and, and, and partner up with them and, and bounce off each other's ideas and, and really say, does this really make sense? Is this proportional? Uh, but yeah, you're right. And, and of course I, I catch myself some, from time to time on LinkedIn poking at people, but that this, this judgment thing, when we talk about, you know, uh, be curious and not judgmental, it's a natural instinct with humans. It's a natural instinct with animals to judge everything around them. Yeah. You know, you think about animals, they're always judging, uh, you know, it's something trying to try and I'm a big hunter. And so I know that, that hogs and deer and everything, they're curious. They're, they're curious because they, they want to stay alive. <laughs> yeah. And and I think as humans, we're curious because we want to learn more. We want to make sure that that we're staying alive, and that yeah. that's how we have evolved over the years to become who we are today. Yeah, right. But Sam, I can tell you one thing is that I do, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you allowing me to come on this to talk to you about you know safety in general, but but about your book. Uh, it has uh, helped me a lot with putting things into better perspectives. And it is, uh, and it comes off the heels of, of Clive Lloyd's book, which is good. And I see you, you guys go back and forth one and two from time to time and poke fun at each other. But yeah. I, I believe you can't, there's not two books that, that you, in my opinion, again, my opinion, uh, it, that you, that are not better written. I can tell you another book that that I'm I'm I don't know if you've written uh, read yet, but uh, that is the book that that Greg Smith has has written called uh, pa Paper Paper Safe. Yeah, I don't know if you've written that, but that is a remarkable Excellent book as read. well. Yeah, and and I he really humanized the whole book because of how he used real case studies mm. and and. I want to be quite honest, and and I tell people this is I'm not a huge reader. I wish I was, but I'm not. I just don't have the time. I listen I'm a lot, but that book, it pulled me in because it was so humanizing. Yeah, I could just see the people in every story. I felt as if I was in the courtroom with that person, or I was at the work site with that person while they was going through it. And he talks a lot about creating these illusions that we've been talking about. Yeah. And yeah. so if, if anyone's not written that, uh, read that book, paper safe is a really good book. Yeah. Highly recommend that um, one. Highly recommend that it is a really good book and it puts things into perspective because we, you know, the legislation has been around for so long that we don't really comply with legislation. We comply with our, our, company requirements we we, right? we 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 comply with our company requirements that were built on our perception of the legislation which is usually yeah. far more yeah far yeah. more constrictive than yep. what the legislative yeah. requirements and, are <laughs> and so what was so refreshing to me and because i always talk about you know what are we supposed to do and i studied the law i studied the law a lot 
And, and I tell people, okay, that's all good, but you know, we don't have to do that. I mean, if we want to right. go above and beyond, we want, we can, but we have a limited amount of budget. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and we, we shouldn't over, you know, spend something just because we can spend something because right. it's going to take away from other aspects of the business. And, and I think that's what his book also does is it puts things into, it puts us back into our place and says, this is where you should be. Yeah. And this is, the, the outputs that you that you do as an organization, especially from the safety and health organization, this is what it actually going to benefit you when bad things happen, and this is what's not yeah. going to benefit you. Yeah, and and I think that is what is really important for that uh, for that book as well. But I do appreciate uh, this chat. It was a, a lovely time, and yeah, man. And I, I heard that you were having a big event coming up in March. Uh, I've got one March or May. May, yes, uh, May, so yes. We've, we've got one coming up in May. I'm gonna, I'm here and there and everywhere around that time too. But we've got a public event happening in May here in Phoenix. Okay, so we're gonna have, we're gonna be together with uh, Britton Sutton yep. and Jay Allen, and it's gonna be a blast. And we're gonna hang out and do stuff afterwards. We're gonna do two days and just have a have a fun time, mostly focusing on operational learning and extreme operational curiosity and all those kind of cool questions that you were just talking about is a lot of where, in my mind, I know that's where I'm going to be going in, yep. uh, in those conversations is is exactly that. I'm, I'm real hot and heavy on this idea of how do we grow extreme operational curiosity within our organization? Again, seeking to understand the, 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 the story of normal work, right? Yeah. And then tell that story, learn from that story. I think that's there's a there's a lot of power in there, and uh, it, uh, yeah, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a ton of fun. If you ever if you make it out this way, Brad, you said you're a hunter. We're going to have to go. We we'll have to go pop yep. some javelina. Yeah, we'll have some oh, fun for sure. For sure. <laughs> I'm sorry if I, I offended anyone by by saying that. So uh, I apologize. <laughs> that's my that's my uh, sorry. We'll go out here uh, but, and call, we'll call in some coyotes, man. We'll go have some fun. <laughs> no, but I think when you say. For any of those that that haven't heard you, and I'm sure that anyone that's listening to this have heard you, when you say operational excellence, and I, and I try not to say operational because people often think in my world operations, yeah, and I use the word curiosity yeah. because it's more holistic. When you say operational, what are you meaning operational? What do you, you mean by operational? Yeah. So when, when I'm, when I'm talking operational, I'm just talking holistic work. Okay. okay right. The, 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 the system itself, right. Being curious about. So if, if I'm thinking, so I come from a utility background. So okay. when I, when I, when I think utilities, I'm thinking operations in that sense in a lot of ways, but it's exactly <laughs> that, right. To be operationally curious to me is to be curious about exactly what we were just talking about, how things get done within our actual operations, what, whatever it is that we actually do. So that whole system of work, what, yeah. whatever it may be, what, whatever it may be. Yeah. Very good point. I, I just, uh, you know, for the sake of um, inclusion, uh, yeah. I, 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 I wanted to make sure that people were aware that that was what you meant by operational awareness or yeah. uh, curiosity. Yeah. Be, and it's about our, all of our operations. Yeah. Not, yeah, not I'm, just I'm, I'm, operations. I'm, I'm, yeah, I was say, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not excluding our, our maintenance <laughs> friends. Mm -mm. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get a bunch of angry maintenance guys. <laughs> like, your your love obsession with the freaking operators, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
No, but but you know, people can take things out of context, and so I wanted to clarify that. That was one thing, one of my things I had I had on my to do list during this conversation, because we talk in the real world. I would say, you know, in in the day to day world, we we talk about making sure that we we treat people fairly, respectfully, equally. Yeah. And the words and, and strategies that we use sometimes could be perceived as we're, we're leaving people out. Yeah. And yeah. most people would know what operational means, but it seems today that people think things at face value. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know how it goes. You 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 post on LinkedIn too, man. We're active in social media. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take it doesn't take long mm-hmm. for somebody to get mad at you. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and and you try to you know be the the when we talk, it's not like we're talking. It's a hundred percent. It's all or none. No, we're trying to we're, we discuss things in generalizations mm-hmm. because we know there's exceptions to every rule. We know there's exceptions to every um, ideology. Yeah. Any exceptions to whatever we follow conventionally or the hot principles. Yeah. We understand there's exceptions to those principles. Yeah. But we're trying to take a general approach, a holistic approach, but we understand that it's not black and white. No, and I I think I think that's one of the most powerful pieces that, or one of the most important pieces that people have to recognize, especially anybody that's newer on their hop journey, yep. is understanding that it's not something that you administer, right? It's it's not a yep. program to be managed, and it's this idea we're talking the principles. You know, it's really about a shift towards better assumptions. At 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 its at its core, that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about some of the stuff you're talking about about humanizing the profession leads right into that same conversation. We're changing our assumptions about people. Right, we're changing our assumptions about our understanding of work and safety systems. We're, but the, all the, that change in understanding comes from that shift towards. I would uh, again, I'll use air quotes for anybody that's listening. Um, I would shift towards. Um, I, I would say it's a shift towards better assumptions, right? So, and again, it's it's all in the in, under that same idea. We're not trying to fix. We're trying to improve, right? Even in this that we're talking about here, right? Where it's it's that incremental improvement towards doing things a little bit better, right? And for me, it's starting with that 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 better assumptions, especially around the people that make up our work worlds, right? Of starting from a place of trust, seeing them as the as the solution, embracing them, right? All those kind of key things that we know make up the bedrock of what human organization performances or safety differently or whatever, back to having a hundred different words for same, similar, right. Very similar schools of thought and beliefs there. Um, I would have been cool if we would have just stuck with HRO back in the day, but it, you know, whatever, whatever we want to call it, you yeah. know, hop, hop seems to do it, do it for me. It's kind of, I'm kind of stuck with it after I branded anything with, with you. You with, are, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that 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 shift that shift in assumptions, right, is is really that key piece because that that the, the those better assumptions, those principles, it 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 you don't really have to have a set like program framework that naturally emerges, right? That kind of naturally emerges from those better assumptions, that kind of scaffolding that you build, 
within your organizations for your actual processes, which will always exist to an extent, right? And should in a lot of ways, and some things you have to, um, but they just get that more based on those better assumptions, based on those principles, they get that kind of different lean to them to where maybe in the past it was, it was more blame, shame, retrain. Now it leans more toward, well, let's really seek to understand context and let's really, let's slow down and experiment a solution rather than just fix it. It just takes you in a, just down a little bit of a different path. You know? No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, really drives me to, 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 you know, you and I talk behind the scenes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think because I think, you know, I, I would often think we're kin, but uh, I, I looked, <laughs> yeah, I looked, I looked, you, and we're not think, right. I'm, I'm waiting. You know, my, I'm waiting any day for my. Uh, I, I did that stupid, um, that stupid <laughs> oh, uh, DNA oh, you thing. You know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So um, I don't think I've committed any crimes that I need to <laughs> need, need to worry about. <laughs> Isn't that how they call it? What's his name? The the dude in California with the, uh, gold, with the golden yeah, yeah, the yep, golden yep, gate yep, golden state. Yep, yep, Gold, I want to yep. call him the golden gate. The golden yeah, state. Golden state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I get those random notifications every now and again. It's like you have a, a third cousin, and you know. So and so, and so one of these days I'm going to pop up and be like Brad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, that would that would be awesome. But but you know my my brother, my older brother is also a safety professional, mm-hmm. and my first cousin's also a safety professional. I'm the first, uh, and, and I didn't. Uh, I, I would always say that the reason why we're all in a safety profession is because we all got a big heart and we really we really love people. And, and that's why I think you, you get into the safety field or you should, if, yeah, you, if should, you don't really yeah. love people, then you probably shouldn't yep. be in this field. In, in my opinion. And yeah, well, and so, I found, I found that, you know, <laughs> that if you're not doing it for the right reasons, don't get me wrong. There's always an exception, right? An exception yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Um, but I find that most people that if you're not doing it for the right reasons, you wouldn't put up with this job job for very long. Uh-uh. <laughs> before you'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go do something else. <laughs> it, it is, and and I can tell you, and and I'll end with this: is the easiest way to get a safety professional to out of safety is to stack a lot of safety clutter onto him. Because when he's not helping people yeah. and having to do a lot of safety stuff, then it gets away from the purpose in which he got into the business. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yep. That's so true. Absolutely true. And I, I love that point because it's not, I think that's at the core of what it truly, what it is, is it feels it's that, and it's coupled with a lot of that clutter that, especially as that professional, you can get away with that maybe while they're a little greener. Yep. But as they grow in their as as they grow in their understanding, you get to the point to where they go. Not only am I not getting to do what I know I love to do and need to do and am passionate about doing, but all this stuff that you do have me doing, I know that it's useless. Yep, that's that's a recipe for you're going to be hiring a new safety professional every six to twelve months. Yep. <laughs> that's 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 exactly that, what that is. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I thank you for coming on, dude. This has been awesome. Oh, oh it has been. I, I've been looking forward to it, and yeah. I am going to try to get out there in May. I do have a few trips planned, 
And so I'm going to really try to uh, get out there. That would be fantastic. I, I love the three of you guys. And I know I'm sure there'll be some special guests. Yep, and- yep. <laughs> well, and just come on out, man. We'll be here. And yeah. we're, like I said, we're going to be doing some stuff, you know, in between where there's, there's some secret plans of maybe going and doing some jeeping. So it sounds like you're into, yeah. in, into that. I we'll am. take you out. I'll show you some cactuses. Yeah. We'll go up on the mountains. We'll try not to roll you over. We'll, ha- we'll have fun. You can you can wear a seatbelt if you're worried. We're going to be going extremely low speeds, <laughs> but well, hopefully it's dry. We won't get stuck in the mud anywhere. <laughs> no, that that's one of my favorite things to do. I, I actually don't get to do it as much anymore because I do so much softball. But uh, yeah. I, I do a lot of rock climbing and stuff, oh, meaning nice. in jeeps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and so yeah, I would love that. And I'm like I said, I'm going to try to make it. Out there, I would love to, to be part of this, and I know it's going to be an awesome event. And for those yeah. that that are wondering, uh, this would be an awesome event. I know it will be. So, again, yeah, thank you, Sam, for for having me on, and and I look yeah, forward man. to continuing the good fight on LinkedIn Absolutely, with you, man. and look forward to speaking with you in the future. Just keep learning and improving, man. That's what we do. That's that's what we can do. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, there you go. That was the one, the only, the awesome Brad Green. And that was just just an awesome conversation. I look forward to uh, catching up with Brad some more and hopefully having him back on the podcast. So if you're listening, Brad, I'm already planning, planning your epic return to the show. And we'll have another amazing conversation. Again, head over to the website, www.thehopner.com. Follow along on all things social media. Make sure you check out the latest book, 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less. If you want to learn more about that, you can go over to the10ideas.com or just search it on Amazon, your local Amazon marketplace, and Audible. It is on Audible. If you just need to uh, listen to me talk some more, you can you can go find it there. I did narrate it myself. And as I said, need hop help, need help operationalizing human organization performance, hop fundamentals, learning teams, all that kind of sort of stuff. I would love to partner with you to operationalize human organization performance. Just send me an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com or head over to the website to learn more about the kind of services that I offer. I do work all over the globe. There's a handy dandy contact form there as well. If you're shy and you don't want to just reach out to me directly through email at thehopnerd at gmail.com. That's all I've got. Sam Goodman, The Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye.